Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of Plastic Grass Square. I'm your host Aaron Lucas and this month we're chatting to the founder of Dynamic 4 and host of the incredibly popular Sydney Design Thinkers Meetup, Ben Pegatich. I had a really great time chatting to Ben earlier this month. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Let's get into it, shall we? Ben, good afternoon. Welcome to Plastic Grass Square. G'day. Thank you very Thanks much for having me. Oh, look, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. This is uh, your first appearance on a podcast, I it believe. Did. Well, the first one that hopefully people will ever hear. I did oh. one a while ago, which I don't think we ever edited. So, oh, right. Yes. It's so it's just sitting in the can somewhere. Sitting in Quinny's can somewhere, yeah. yes. Ah, and he's beaten you to a couple as well. He has, yes. Yeah, we'll see if we can fix that. <laughs> All right, uh, look, we'll, uh, let's start off in, um, uh, with a little bit of your background. Um, you know, uh, I know who you are. I'm sure there's plenty of people around Sydney and Australia who might know uh, who you are and where you came from. Um, <laughs> Although that's probably more of a question for your mother, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's uh, let, talk us through like sort of how you how you came to uh, to be part of Dynamic Four or, or founding Dynamic Four, really. I guess as the as the case might be. Yes. Um, so, in terms of founding Dynamic Four, that was coming up to seventeen years ago. So, first of wow. October will be our seventeen year birthday. So, wow, you're nearly adults. Well, almost. <laughs> <laughs> might be able to drink and stuff yeah. in the states. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I was living in London at the time. Um, I lived in London for seven years, and not long after getting there, I started Dynamic 4. And so originally uh, it was a combination of um, doing what we do now, which is the way I describe ourselves now is a a purpose-driven design and innovation company. Mm -hmm. Um, And back in the day, um, back in 2001, there was that aspect of it, so doing a lot of strategy innovation and designing and building digital products. Um, and also there was Dynamic 4 Fitness because uh, I used to be a personal trainer and teach Pilates and spin and that kind of thing. So trying to help people um, live healthier lifestyles and a mm. bit of mindfulness in there as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I have quite uh, diverse interests and have <laughs> explored many of them and, yeah. and very curious. So. It's it's one of the thing one of the things I find uh, there's a real common thread with people um, from our from our industry and from you know the design industry in particular. We like stuff. Yeah. Like it's it's really it's really unusual. I, I'm not. It's not even unusual. I'm yet to meet someone um, who tells me they have a really narrow interest set. No, I think it's a, one. I think it's a huge asset, mm. um, and I think it's a along with empathy, one of the key requirements of being a good designer is being naturally curious and never stop learning, always exploring new mm. ideas and concepts and how people relate to them and what might happen next and understand what happened in the past and why. Um, you know, I think all of those things are important stimuli t- uh, for good design. Mm. Do you think even that um, perhaps uh, that sort of broad interest set actually helps drive the creation of empathy and the ability to empathise with others? Because we, you know, by by being aware of so many different things and, you know, not necessarily being, in, uh, you know, that whole sort of jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none little yeah. bit, you understand so much more about people by being interested in lots of stuff. Yeah, I think one being interested in, I think for a lot of people who would now call themselves a designer of some kind, mm. um, also exploring and having experienced different um, professions or contexts or cultures or places 
um, you know, that's all part of understanding, you know, a little bit through yourself, which is not really empathy, but, you know, that self-awareness of I've been here, I've felt this way, I've experienced these things. Yeah. And for that to be pretty broad, um, then at least gives you a pretty good foundation to be able to have real empathy, where is not how might I feel in their shoes, but no. how do they feel in their shoes? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got a broader base to start from and more context um, and, you know, being naturally interested in people and, and their different realities and how they perceive the world mm. to try and understand more about what that might be for them and how might we work with them, design with them, um, to do design solutions that they actually want. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, you were saying, just to go back again a little bit, um, that, you know, Dynamic Falls always had, you know, a, a sort of a, a digital solutions or a digital agency arm to it or yep. part to it. Um, did you come from a background in digital products prior to that or? Um, again, came from a relatively, relatively diverse background. <laughs> um, Excellent. So my, my weirdness isn't new. It's a lifelong affliction. <laughs> yeah, it, it just it tends to start. I reckon it starts when you were about twelve. Uh, yeah, yeah. I probably started early then. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my my broader background is I grew up a brickie. My dad's a brickie, so mm. um, well before I was going to school, um, I was laying bricks and being a brickie's labourer. Yeah. Uh, so that was literally from you know the age of two. I'd wow. Be on you know building sites, not big commercial fitouts or no, commercial no. builds, but you know, more domestic building houses and landscaping, that kind of stuff. So grew up as a brickie. Um, mm -hmm. My um, grandfather was a metal worker. Um, my other grandfather was sort of an engineer. Um, again, sort of a lot of uh, mechanical automation, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Um, and one of my uncles is a building designer, sort of draftsman as I was growing up. So, and my mum's a florist. Yeah, <laughs> um, my sister's a florist, so yeah. sort of come from a background where, as a you know, my family design and build and make things. Yes, um, yeah. and that's been key to how I experience the world. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this is a very long answer to what was I doing? No, no, it's <laughs> a, I like long answers. Long answers are good, <laughs> um, but that very much shaped um, what I expect out of my effort and where I see value. So one yeah. is definitely. I need there to be something tangible. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And in the space that's sort of working now, digital um, yep. is one of those tangible things. You can actually have an interface or uh, an experience which people get to use and can see, yep. um, which is nice. You know, there is something to show for your work as opposed to just meetings all day where, you know, I have lived a, a long life of that as well. Oh, I, think, <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> um, and then it's, you know, designing and building things that make people's lives better. Mm. So, you know, when you build a house um, or you do some landscaping, you're creating physical environments and space and that place making where people, families, communities can live in it, yeah. share their lives, their experiences, um, and it's a better environment than when before that thing was built. what they had, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, that's that need to, one, you know, there's always the design side of there might be an empty plot of land and what might be here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, working with Dad and he'd sketch it out and he'd be talking about different ideas and 
sizing up the size of the job and <laughs> yep. quoting on the fly. Yes, yeah. Some really good pr- business practices there that I picked up. <laughs> um, uh, being able to quote on your feet in particular, well, yeah, super useful. It's also good to make sure you make profit. But um, <laughs> so, you know, being able to work with people to help them see a new future, mm-hmm. you know, um, yep. and, and envision that and have that as a collaborative process where that actually emerges together as opposed to going off into a dark room and going, da-da, look at, look at my magic. Yes, yeah, So yeah. that very collaborative design process is something I experienced from extremely early on. Yeah, wow. And then turning that into reality. Yeah. And that's formed where I need to do that full life cycle. Yeah. Like my reward and fulfillment comes from collaborating with people to go through that strategic design, what might this thing be? Yeah. Testing some of that thinking. And if it stops there, you know, I can feel good about it a bit. Yeah. But where I really get my reward is being able to help make that a reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the impact or the, um, you know, the happiness that comes off the back of that, that's really, um, you know, key to my driving why. Yeah. And, and having, you know, that as an inclusive and, and the, um, equitable aspects of that um, is, is pretty core cool to me as well, that sort of natural justice side of things. So... That was a really yes. long tangent, um, but where that sort of um, steps through to is I left school um, when I was, I think I just turned 17, like a few days after I turned 17, uh, so I didn't go to uni, mm-hmm. um, and I then went to work in a wholesale nursery, so I did horticulture for six months, mm-hmm. and then it got really cold. <laughs> um, and, and working outside became less attractive by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was good that summer, mm. <laughs> um, and so I had an opportunity to come up at Westpac. Oh. Um, so very big switch from you know being a tradesman, blue collar guy, yeah, to yeah. putting on a suit and going work in a bank. Mm. Uh, so that was uh, just over twenty five years ago. It was my first office job. Wow. Westpac. Um, so it spent five years with Westpac, then another three years with AMP, mm-hmm. um, and then moved to London and started Dynamic 4, and been back in Sydney for just over 10 years. Nice. And spent the first five of those 10 years doing Dynamic 4 as well. Yeah. Uh, but went back to work, funnily enough, for Westpac ah, for another five years. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, like a diff- different capacity, though, I imagine. Like Yeah, and, and during my five years at Westpac, that was quite a, a broad range of roles. I mm-hmm. started literally the lowest possible role we could mm-hmm. within the bank um, and learnt a lot and experimented a lot and met a lot of good people who sort of coached and guided me on, um, mostly in informal sort of capacities as opposed to you know, the big mentoring type capacity. But yeah. met some really awesome people and learnt a lot. And was lucky enough through um, times of great change, so lots of restructures. Uh, every restructure, I sort of did a bit better out of it, and um, quickly went from designing process and and doing that in a very human centered way, without mm-hmm. knowing that was that's what you were thing. doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of sort of process and and service design that I was working on originally, and then technology started playing more and more of a role. So um, that's you know, sort of within my first 18 months, I'd never used a computer in my life. 
you know, in terms of on a daily basis, yeah. I touched one. Yeah, yeah, you knew what they were. <laughs> I knew what they were. Yeah. Um, eighteen months in, I had a PC on my desk, and eighteen months after that, I was building uh, mainframe environments, mid-range environments, and had my own LAN and um, set up the UAT environment from scratch. And because I was so naive, um, I didn't know how to cheat. So all I could do was go and talk to the people who did know, or right. the production owners of these systems, yep. and get them to help me design this fresh environment. Um, and again, so it was sort of basically a big service design job. Yeah, yeah. Again, not with that name. <laughs> no, but I mean, like that's, that's, that, that, is, that is literally what we do now when, you know, when we want to do a big, like you say, a big service design piece like that, or we've got all these disparate systems to pull together, we go and talk to the product owners, yeah, exactly. and and ask them, and you know, because th- those product owners are our, you know, they're our SMEs, and that's how and they, we work. They it know out. how it works, where the gotchas are. Yeah, um, and you know, by being able to work with them, and talk to them, and and value them, yes, and for them to feel valued, yeah, um, then they help you out because most people are really up for helping. So. Yeah, so yeah, that was um, kind of my first step into technology was not a half step it was uh, <laughs> building yeah. you know mvs mainframes kicks and db2 and lots of other acronyms that people over 60 normally know but people younger than that tend not to mm. <laughs> see i hear mvs and i i think about well because my my main technology background is from sony broadcast right so i hear mvs and i think about a vision switcher oh, but uh, yeah but i'm not clearly the, too not, young not the mvs mainframe <laughs> not the mvs mainframe no no <laughs> i'm clearly too young um but so it sounds to me like you know uh from a, a really early age and i, I have to say I, I, i'm a little bit jealous um but you've had a like this constant grounding in you know process thinking and creativity and that's just been reinforced all the way through yeah, your, and, your and life and career, really. Definitely. And mm. I've always had a natural sort of leaning towards systems and how things hang together, yeah. not just what's in front, in front of me, but more broadly than that. So that's kind of, without being you know, formally trained in systems thinking, it's one that's been a natural way that I sort of see the world and operate yeah. and look to systemize things so I can take away mental energy from things that shouldn't need mental energy yes um and get into flow state when i'm doing a bunch of those things yeah and use cognitive power for things that are a bit more interesting and more valuable yeah um so that's you know i've been doing that since i was a young kid um so then you know going into a corporate environment which is full of systems and complex systems mm. and at a technology level a process level at a people level um and being able to you know bit of sense making there and find the patterns and um, again that naturally curious aspect of seeing how people interact um, and why power dynamics work certain ways in certain contexts and how people behave with one set of people versus another set of people or in a different situation Um, you know that situational behavior I think has always been quite fascinating to me yeah Um, you know we're not even as individuals we're not homogenous and you know, no, we're singular. Not, we're, 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 not, we're, we're not the same person from one day to the next, or exactly. even from one hour to the next. Exactly, a lot of the time, so. our, our environment, context, and lots of other dynamics influence that pretty heavily. So, mm. you know, more just for observation as opposed to any formal training. That's always um, something I would read about and, and yeah. observe, and maybe conduct the odd experiment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's you know. 
stepping into those complex organisations um, was a bit of a playground, really. Mm. You know, there's so much going on. There's um, so many areas of opportunity, so much to learn. Yeah. And that learning, you know, while I never went to uni and I've done very little formal education, um, you know, every day, every minute for me is about learning. It's about so, learning something new, yeah. And I've always been much more of a contextual learner of, and again, that's relating it back to it's not enough for me to have the theory or the, the big picture I need to execute and apply. Yeah. For me, it's the same with learning. So, you know, um, absolutely nothing against, you know, um, academics and, and um, university education. But personally, I find much more value when learning something deeply in context and being able to apply it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the contextual aspect of how things fit together is relevant and in the moment and you then learn what you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and often you end up having to teach others when you're doing that as well, which reinforces that learning. So it's, um, yeah, that constant learning, I think, is, is uh, still constant now. Yeah, it's still constant. That's why, <laughs> yeah. that's why it's constant. Um, so Dynamic 4 then, uh, like you said, coming up on, on its 17th birthday. Mm. Um, just sort of looking at the kind of projects that uh, the, the business is involved in, it seems like it's, it's much more than... Um, you know, you've, you, you and Quinny have built something that's much more than just a digital agency. Like you've, you've really, like, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, I think you talk about social enterprise a lot. Yep. And um, so there's a lot of different facets to what the, what the, what the business does. Yeah. Um, and the digital aspect, I never really know what to call us. <laughs> and, <laughs> cool. Uh, sales and marketing are my absolute weakest points when uh-huh. it comes to business. Um, you can pay people to do that though, mate. You can. Yeah. You can. Um, <laughs> but you still got to have your story straight often. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. And that, you know, you know, constant evolution and iteration of business model and value proposition and yeah. positioning, um, you know, that's it's always an interesting process um, and one that we apply to ourselves as well as the people we work with. Um, so... What I've settled on for the moment, at least, <laughs> uh, is a design and innovation company that doesn't really tell you much, unfortunately. Um, but key part of it really is that we're purpose-driven. So yeah. um, I, I'm not entirely sure why, but I normally stop short of calling us a social enterprise, even though by the definition we would be. Yeah. Um, but I didn't start the company as a social enterprise, which I think might be part of that reason. And purpose-driven I kind of like as a term that's kind of inclusive of however you identify, if you identify and operate as a social enterprise or a not-for-profit or um, just an ethical business that mm. looks at people, planet and profit as opposed to profit at all costs yes, to people yep. and planet. Um, you know, as long as it's about helping create, um, you know, what we're about is basically helping and collaborate with people who are creating ideas for that make people and communities happier yeah. and more empowered and inclusive. Um, nice. You know, that's that's really where we're focused. Um, and that can be a pretty broad range from you know, social enterprise, and we do a lot of work with early stage social enterprise especially, um, through to just designing products so they're more human-centered yeah. and they, you know, are better for people. Um, that end of the spectrum I wouldn't count really as purpose-driven as such, but um, in terms of the type of work we'll do, 
that's definitely part of it and, and we love doing that kind of work and it's you know that's can a lot of that is in a in an enterprise context but also during that process helping the people we're working with think about the people and planet yes in okay, a more yeah. ethical sustainable perspective yep um and wherever possible embedding those types of principles into business models if it's for a new product or service um or looking at strategy more broadly so always looking to try and help people on that journey um, and tend to think of things as continuums and journeys as opposed to binary it is or it isn't yep. um, which I've you know over the years I've found one me thinking that way uh, and using that kind of language is less alienating and more inclusive to people who you know aren't all that they might want to be and, yep. and maybe not operating as ethically and sustainably as they could yep um, but if you focus on what it's not, then you, it's very easy to alienate people and discourage them from making any progress because if you're not 100%, why be 50%? Yeah. Is yeah, the yeah. sort of byproduct you get from that binary language. And I think there, like, there is, um, you know, there's a real risk when uh, you, within yourself or within your organisation, have quite strong ethics and, um, you know, you maybe come up against a situation or a client that, you can see has the potential for change or has the potential to be brought along yep. through some ethical change. But if you sit, if, if you only apply that kind of binary measure, there's that real risk that you're, like you say, you're going to alienate someone, but not just alienate them, you're losing an opportunity to help Definitely. someone out. Like, and there are, you know, I think, uh, I, I feel like there's, there's so many people, especially in enterprise, who um, they go to work and they kind of switch themselves off a little bit. So the, the self that goes to work is not the self that they, that they live or the truth that they live right. for the rest of their time. Yeah. Um, and so there's, that, there's a real opportunity there if you think, like you say, at, in a continuum um, and not in a binary, you know, you're good or you're bad. Yeah. There's a real And we're all a bit of both. Exactly. Of course <laughs> we are. But there's like this amazing opportunity to actually draw people out um, agree, yeah. when, when you're working with them on whatever, whatever the product might be. But you can draw people out and provide them that space and the opportunity to, you know, come to a realisation that, hey, I can behave more ethically and, uh, and produce more sustainable products, whatever the whatever the field might be that they're Definitely. in. Definitely. And I think, you know, that, as you just said, applies to any field. Yes. Like, but the way, you know, everything from UX practitioner level stuff through yep. to, you know, social impact and literally any field, um, having that, you know, to me it's a bit more of a... a a growth mindset that's you're not fixed it on or off yeah you you, you actually are in control and yep. you might be in more or less control at different points but yes. you can nudge this thing forward and something is better than nothing in almost all cases most definitely as yes. opposed to well if i can't do it perfect why why even try yeah um and so that's you know in terms of design and and uh, especially in the enterprise context you know, looking at design maturity you know, yeah There'll be cases when things are very mature <laughs> and, you know, we've, we've done a lot of things that we think we should and we've done them quite well. And then even with the same group of people on a different project, things might be quite a low maturity in terms of human-centered design because of X, Y, Z, maybe yeah. different KPIs, pressures, scope, yep. budget, timeline, all of those yeah, usual yeah. constraints. Um, and it's really about trying to help people and, and as well as myself as an individual Mm. I'm not at 100. percent No, well, I mean, on anything ever. Yeah, we're, I mean, you know, like like you said, we're we're all constantly learning and 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 trying to 
you know, find ways to improve yep. within ourselves. Definitely. And, you know, a work in progress is uh, how I describe myself. Yes. <laughs> well, and I mean, but there's like, you know, I, I, I often... I worry that people find that whole that idea challenging. That they're not finished. That they're not. That you're not set. But I, like I personally, you know, and I, I think you and I are on the same page here. I find that idea really exciting. That like you know I can continue to grow and and you know learn and improve as a human, not just as a designer or as a researcher. Like but not as a just human, yeah. yeah, not just you know on technical levels, but in terms of how I, how I think about the world. Yeah, can be. No, I agree and. I, I can also see the, you know, when you're pushing yourself to be more, yes. which I think most people are, and there's a lot of external pressures as well on being more or different, mm. um, and we internalise all or some of that, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, plus add our own based on, you know, our upbringing or other, um, you know, environments we've grown up in. Um, and so that's... Wanting to be somewhere other than where we are now mm. is a real and like for me anyway, and I, I think for a lot of people, it's a real and constant pressure. Yeah. Um, and making a bit of peace with it of um, I'm you know iterating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some of it's going to go quite well, and some of it's going to go sideways. Yeah. Um, and some might go really bad. Um, yes. So it's you know that's. Being able to view yourself as a work in progress, and that's a good thing, and that's mm. a healthy thing, um, and trying to balance down a little the where well, you're not perfect yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Just, that that self talk that can go with that, which I I know, um, you know yes. that that can be a battle. Yes, it certainly can be. <laughs> um, you, and something you just mentioned then uh, has has made me think of um, oh you know tangent number two hundred and thirty or so <laughs> that's probably going to happen this afternoon, but. I've been talking to some um, some other uh, friends of mine about um, the idea of designing for more as opposed to designing for enough. Right. So, you know, while we talk about personal development as being, you know, there's always there is you know pressure and or desire to be more, um, uh, and I think in terms of yourself, that is definitely something you should continue to work on. But when 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 you apply that sort of idea to, to products of any kind, whether you know digital or physical or whatever it might be, is there a point where the iteration has to stop? Where, you know, um, for reasons of, of sustainability in, in many cases, something is as good as it's probably going to get and, you know, you don't need to do any more to it and you, you can get it to a point where it's pretty damn good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, um, he says. What, what that nervously. point is and why it is, is, yeah. you know, lots of different possibilities there yeah. and, and different perspectives on it. The, you know, anything from a the sustainable aspect and mm-hmm. we we don't have infinite resources. No. <laughs> there, there is the fallacy of infinite growth, which we've grown up with in the advertising age since the 60s, but... That isn't a reality that nature reflects to us, yep. and it's not how we are, and it's not reality. Mm. Um, and as a planet and people, we're trying to come to terms with what that means and how we might move forward and out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's that perspective, and then there's even just within the economic system and and the commercial constraints that are absolutely recognised. Yeah. Um, of 
of course you can't continue iterating because you run out of time and money. <laughs> yes, most definitely, yes. And stakeholder patience. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so there's definite aspects that make that finite. Yes, yeah. Um, and then, you know, within that, and it's there's a little bit of juxtaposition here between kind of growth and abundance mindset and constraints. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, there are natural constraints you start butting up against, and so then within you know a form of resource scarcity of time and money in this particular example, yep. then you've got to make priority calls, and yep. then it's about what are you prioritizing and why, and what's the value system that you're making those trade-off calls, and there's always going to be trade-offs of in course. everything. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and doing our best when we're leading design and designing to make those trade-off decisions explicit and made by you know, the people who you're designing with and for. Yep. Um, if that's a client or if it's a, um, you know, a community, yep. that's ways to make sure that the right value systems are making those trade-off decisions. And it's is balancing you know, that, that triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. Yeah. That you're not going, well, don't worry about the people and planet. We're just going to maximise profit here. Yeah. Or, you know. Which sounds to me like it's something you would probably back away from anyway. Yes. Possibly a bit too hard the other direction. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, need, like, you uh, know. need to balance them. It's, yeah, it's, of course. And yes, it needs yeah, yeah, yeah. to be, um, and I think, you know, something like the approach of social enterprise, mm. um, which tends to work well in a lot of contexts as, a, as an approach at least, um, but isn't a silver bullet at all. No, and, definitely and, not. And the thinking doesn't even apply in some cases of mm. having a um, you know, self-sustaining commercial model around what you're trying to do that does have a positive um, social environmental impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the fact of bringing those three things together and it's about balancing it so you do deliver you know, great outcomes for people and planet mm-hmm. and it's self-sustaining and even profitable. Yeah. Um, because you do need profit to be able to keep progressing. Indeed, yes. (laughs) It's obviously profit tends to get a bit of a dirty connotation because it's gone to this maximising of profit and then into the pockets of the very few as opposed to it's just a surplus left over from when you've paid your bills. Yeah. And now how do you use those funds? Okay, might, you know, top up my own wages. Yeah. But going to reinvest it into, you know, delivering on the purpose. Um, if you don't have a surplus, then you can't continue iterating. No, you can't. And what that point you just made there about reinvestment in particular and, and reinvesting in, um, you know, in the business itself, um, I, I think that's something that gets missed a lot when people talk about what profit is for. And, yeah. and like you say, I think, um, you know, it's become this sort of you know, I guess people think of profit and they think of, you know, Michael Douglas or Leonardo DiCaprio or other, like, you know, um, characters like that who we see in fiction yeah. um, who are just like, you know, lying. And unfortunately not in fiction. That, no, that, sadly. That is, a, that is the reality of our economic world. Indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the most part, at least. And yeah. Small businesses in general, which in Australia make up, you know, small and medium makes up about 97% of businesses in Australia. Yeah. Majority of them don't make any profit. No, <laughs> um, no, no. And don't have any surplus. And, uh, you know, the owners are often hand to mouth. Yeah. Um, and the system is definitely geared to you know, maximise profit for the small number of people. Yeah. Um, so 
it's not how trade and business was originally sort of set up. No, that wasn't but the idea, was it? Like, you know, it's, so, yeah. it's only, you know, what is that? Must be 100 years or so since yeah. the first company act. Um, maybe a little bit more. You know, that's when the whole thing sort of got changed a bit. Yes. And um, especially once the speculative you know, stock market of the 70s started happening. Yeah, yeah. And you're not even taking a share in profits. You're speculating on taking a share of something that hasn't even happened yet and may or may not happen. So yeah. it moved from I'm going to support a business to grow and, and hopefully at least do neutral things, if not good things, Yeah, yeah. Um, to now I'm going to just basically be gambling. Mm. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, any yeah. Spe- speculative or any derivative is yeah. a straight-out gamble. So yeah. <laughs> you, it lost that connection to real-world real value Yeah. and just became... You know, chucking money around and betting on raindrops down the window. Yeah, wow, raindrops down the window. That's the <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't even like betting on horses. To be no, honest no. With you. So uh, you know, raindrops down a window. Or and it hasn't rained or, yet. No, indeed, it hasn't. <laughs> Not anywhere near enough. Um, so okay, so you wouldn't necessarily um, uh, classify dynamic floor itself as a social enterprise. You're saying obviously because you know there's a there's a number of diff- of, of you know. Um, Competing aims isn't the right thing, but the you know the, it, it's a business, so it is, and and t- it does meet the technical definition of social enterprise. So yeah. it's I'm not entirely sure why I don't call us a social <laughs> enterprise. Um, I guess one thing is the the naming aspect of it's a term that a lot of people it means different things to different people. Of course. Some don't know the term at all. Yeah, um, a lot of people that have said social enterprise to think it's social media somehow um, I'm, so, you know, so. I'm, I'm sorry mate, but that's <laughs> no, that, it's, that's it's, hilarious yeah it's it's definitely a term that hasn't I shouldn't snort when, <laughs> I'm, when I'm hosting I shouldn't snort laugh but that's uh, okay yeah cool you know yeah. it's it hasn't hit some people's vocabulary mm-hmm. and and the, those who do know the term it often means different things so yeah of course yeah um and, and a lot think of it purely in a you know another type of charity and that it isn't right. about self-sustaining you know, business models with a clear value exchange that can diversify revenue streams and not be hostage to, you know, different whims of sponsorship or grants or donations yeah. or, um, you know, I think that's one of the, in terms of the macro conditions, the way funding sources have been so disrupted over the last few years, mm. um, even more traditional organisations, not-for-profits and charities, Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of talk around how might we either spin off a social enterprise or have a um, you know, social enterprise product as part of the mix. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's healthy thinking and you know, looking at diversifying revenue streams, getting to a, a clear value exchange where people will pay for or somebody in the mix will pay for... Um, that value be de- delivered. Yep. Um, there's definitely a lot more sustainability there. Yeah. Um, and you know, potentially starts using the, the capitalistic mechanisms for some positive outcomes. Excellent. Well, I mean, and so and so it should. I mean, you know, there's uh, uh, as much as, and I have mentioned it before on this podcast, as much as I might want to seize the means of production and uh, <laughs> and and take over everything. Um, uh, capitalism isn't a hundred percent terrible. Um, it can be used for good. It's you know it's not it's it's, it's not it's not to- totally bad. It's kind of like democracy. 
A little bit, yes. It's just a better than the known alternatives right now. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not perfect by a long way. Yeah. So, um, you've you've kind of. Um, uh, I guess made yourself a really nice little space in the in the not not for profit area, um, and helping. Funnily enough, not so much in a not for profit oh, really? area. Oh, really? Um, okay. Mostly, most of the work, and, and would love to do more work with not for profits and, mm-hmm. and help them on that um, journey of self sustaining business mm-hmm. models, especially yeah. ones that um, you know have a clear value exchange and really leverage technology to be able to deliver and scale impact. Yeah. Um, that's. I think there's a lot of work we could do there, yep. and um, if I was good at sales and marketing, <laughs> we'd <laughs> be doing more of that. <laughs> aforementioned, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but the we tend to do most of the work um, with early stage, purpose driven startups, social enterprises. Oh, okay, cool. Um, All right. Yeah, so, yeah. and it's been you know there's same as startups, you know, straight commercial startups. Yep. Loads of ideas. And lots of really good ideas yeah. um, for startups and social enterprises, um, and unfortunately, a lot of the support in terms of capacity building, building skills, and support that, and and funding um, over the last few years, especially, has moved sort of further downstream. Oh, really? Um, where the risk is much lower. Yeah. Um, and a lot of grant makers are set up to only be able to provide funds to DGR um, status organisations. Um, so they're certified to get a tax deduction. Ah, oh, okay, right. Um, so, you know, if they give a, um, say, a DGR organisation 100, yep. it costs them 70 because they're getting their 30% write-off of tax. Okay, right. Um, so that, that's pretty inherent into the funding model of a lot of grant makers, most yeah. grant makers. Um, so it means that a lot of social enterprises aren't DGR and a lot will never become DGR. Yeah. Um, and so it does restrict the flow of funds and support to social enterprise. There's definitely a funding gap there. Um, there are other methods to get funding and mm-hmm. there are, you know, some grant makers are providing funding and grants and otherwise um, without requiring DGR. but. Most foundations, at least, yeah. it's kind of DGR only, um, and then the risk profile of early stage, same Versus, as any, any, yeah. any startup, you yeah, know, of course, greater than ninety percent failure rate. Yeah. Um, so looking further, sort of downstream, and a lot of that funding and support has moved more to scaling that as opposed right. to working out what might it be, what is it, test net thinking, yeah, and helping people get through that first stage of getting a startup off the ground yeah. um, and so that's where we focus our attention mm-hmm. um, we do work more with scaling as well but most of the focus is really on working with early stage um, and that's a combination of it's an area that we're experienced in yep started lots of things yes yeah 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 <laughs> I noticed that you, you you seem to start a lot of things and then stay there um, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the process of trying to simplify a few things. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> a few, do- few doors are going to be closing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I s- so I started my you know corporate career 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and I started my first startup 24 years ago. Right. Um, so <laughs> alongside this corporate career, yeah, I've been running and experimenting with varying degrees of success. Yeah. <laughs> uh, startups all the way through. So there's kind of been a, a parallel um, in. S- 
definitely in sort of size and complexity yeah, yeah. at the same time, which I, I feel has been a good thing for me to be able to work at those two, two different scales and cross-pollinate ideas from those two different contexts Definitely, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of experience working uh, in that early stage and you know, it's where the human-centered design is all the way through, never yeah. stops, but it's especially important at that early stage. Yeah. Um, and it's really about you know, being clear on what the idea is. And one of those, you know, the paradox of when you are a founder, mm-hmm. you love your idea. Oh, yes. <laughs> of course yeah. you do. Like that's... And if you didn't love your idea, at least to one degree yeah. or another, you wouldn't persist. No. You'd stop the first first hurdle. Um, and, you know, the mantra which I buy into is, you know, Love the problem, not yep. the solution. Yes. Um, Ashmore is, you know, very strong on that and 100% agree with that. But yep. there is this natural tension between loving your idea for that problem just enough so you persist but not holding onto it so tight that you don't iterate and you can't move forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a very, uh, I don't think there's a right answer to that. That's a constant uh, no. <laughs> trying to work out am I holding it? too tight am i giving up too easy yeah um and that's just constant judgment calls and you get some of them pretty good and right and others way off um but that's life <laughs> yes yes indeed it is yes <laughs> so sort of um you know that human centered design of really understanding the people yep. so the people that you're trying to work with and and you know hopefully designing with and for um really understanding them as as well as their context and the challenges or opportunity or problem that they're experiencing and understanding that first and testing your thinking around that before yeah. diving into, right, I've got an app. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Job done, now I'll find a market. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've got this great bit of code, you should <laughs> yeah. see it. It's a, it's a very high likelihood that will end in tears. Yeah. Um, it, still, it can still end in tears if you do the research mm. and, and, and oh, often does. Yeah. Um, but at least by going through that initial stage of understanding the people in the problem, building empathy and iterating your thinking based on really interacting with those people. Yeah. Then doing the same with your idea for the solution. Yeah. And, you know, wherever possible involving the people that you're working with to help design that solution. Yeah. You know, either formally through things like co-design or, um, you know, in some cases it might be kind of usability testing at a conceptual level. Yeah. Um, testing value propositions, you know, there's lots of ways to test your thinking at low risk, time and money wise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the moment you have contact with people, you, you're thinking at rates. Like if, if you if you're think if you go into that situation and come out thinking exactly the same thing, yeah. you have learned literally zero. Yeah, and, and something's gone It's really wrong. hard to learn literally zero. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, it really is. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. You almost have to intentionally not want to learn. Yeah. Um, so there's always going to be iteration. It doesn't mean it's a whole different thing. No, no, no. But your thinking will refine, and that whole process, you're reducing risk. Yeah. doesn't mean now you've got the silver bullet, I've measured this amount of that and this yeah. amount of that mixed and together, fixed job and, done. Yeah. No, it's not science in that sense, but the process of hypothesis, test, yeah, iterate, yeah. rinse and repeat, that build, measure, learn, um, that's all part of that process. And you're at least then reducing risk. So when you do start delivering the service or the product, whatever yep. it might be, um, you, 
much higher likelihood of success. Yeah. And again, still got to be able to iterate. So we do a lot of work with people, coaching them through that process. Yeah. Um, and it's not... Because, I mean, it's quite a confronting, you know... It's very confronting. When you first, like, <laughs> have that idea and you're like, cool, I've got some funding and now I can get started. And, like, and that's, you know, in terms of things that we've learnt um, from... So Jetpack for Changemakers is the name of that program that we run. Yeah. Um, specifically coaching people through that. Um, and one of the key things that we've learned, uh, we first we did the first sort of design four and a half years ago of the program, mm. um, and that's iterated and evolved a lot, yep. including changing its name during that time. <laughs> um, and one of the key things that we learned was sort of thought, and, and same as any good insight, when you look back, how do I think that? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. What 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 were you thinking? <laughs> um, but one of the, you know, I'm sure it's obvious to anyone that's going to listen to this, is that a founder doesn't start day zero with an idea and go, I need some help with my awesome idea. No. That's what we thought. You know, it's yes, like, okay, yeah, well, yeah. people are going to want to, you know, they'll have an idea, they'll look for some help, and yep. we'll coach them through this, and, you know, we'll help remove a bunch of that pain. Um, no, that's not reality. That's not the makeup of an entrepreneur. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't start with, I need help. Um, so it's really only after people have been trying something, you know, and right. something might be, you know, two years, five years in and not getting the cut through traction that they are hoping for. It's, yep. it's not really getting there. Um, and you know, quite often before two years as well, but, yeah. you know, get to a point where actually I could do with some help. And, and, and so, but like, they would be really entrenched in their thinking and their ideas by that point too, like the, I, I would imagine at least anyway, but... Um, maybe, maybe it's part of that process of, of hit wall after wall uh, and this is hurting. Yeah. That's possibly that process has helped shake free a little bit of the certainty of yes okay i just do this once and it works job done yeah um i'm onto gold here <laughs> you know when, when you when you are grinding through yeah 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 you know, one it can be the crushing doubt that comes in uh, <laughs> yes yep. and you've got to be careful it doesn't get to an unhealthy stage yes. but um it does i think everyone that we've ever worked with has been very coachable and awesome. you know wanting to you know, get get advice, otherwise they wouldn't be talking to us. Yeah. Um, and are willing to be coached through that process. And because it's not about, so that aspect isn't a consulting or agency model, so we're not going off and doing the research for them. No, no. Going back inside. Um, and we're not teaching theory. We're not going, so here's, you know, design research 101. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah. Now, off you now, go. Now go and work out how what you're going to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Come back time. and come back and ask questions if you need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's a very action learning, practical, hands on. You know, the, the founders are working on their idea in these sessions. Yeah. With coaching that's in context and and relevant to what they're doing, um, and as a byproduct, they learn theory and tools and models. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's 90 percent them working on their idea. Yeah. Um, and so that is you know. They can take the form of um, when it's about going and testing, you're thinking around people, problem or the solution, how you put together a conversation guide, what are you trying yeah. to learn, yeah. some basic interviewing techniques and research techniques. So, but that's in a, you're now doing it yourself and you're about to go and execute on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be sitting there with you doing these interviews. 
but here's the things to think about. Here's all the tools. And and, and over time, they'll do more of it and they'll get better at it. And they're not now becoming designers. No. And, or UX people. No. Um, They're developing some of those skills. Yeah. And they they start um, experiencing the power of human-sand design. Yeah. But in the context of, I'm trying to get this venture off the ground to deliver on this social impact. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, you know, that power of design of, I think we can try and turn everyone into designers yep. is a crusade that as an industry we <laughs> seem to be on. A little bit, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and appreciation for design, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, more appreciation for people and designing but, with and for them. Yes, totally. Um, I think is more valuable than, you know, the power of design as, yeah. as such. Um, but then, you know, probably looping back to making it real, mm. um, it's not about the theory of it. It's about being able to get the insights and then what's the decision you're going to make off the back of that yeah. that then helps you take a step in the right direction and how that continues iterating. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, basic hypothesis testing, um, doing some research, running some experiments, um, looking at things like the financial model and mm. what it will actually take to design and build this thing, get it to market. Yeah. Um, that's one aspect, but don't tend to worry too much about that because there does tend to be enough funds at that early MVP stage to find ways to make that work. From a financial model, the key thing that we really try and help people think about is what's monthly break-even look like? How, yeah, do, okay. how do you get this to a self-sustaining thing? Yeah. And what's it going to take to get there? Because if you can't see on paper <laughs> a way you're ever going to get to self-sustaining yeah, yeah. Um, and monthly break-even, yep. then... It's not magically going to happen. No. And mm. it's going to be whatever you put on paper, no matter how conservative you think you're doing it, yep. it's still extremely overly optimistic. Yes. So, Most definitely <laughs> is, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, a little bit of reality check there. Not to say, therefore, you know, I did some numbers and the numbers don't work, so game over. So that's it, let's go home. It's yeah. more, okay, how much you iterate the value prop and the yeah. way that you take this to the audience and is there another um, party in play, an intermediary of some kind who might be willing to pay for this value because they get a value exchange yep. but the end beneficiary doesn't have any funds to be able to pay for it. Um, you start looking at, you know, Social enterprise often ends up with very triangular groups of people. Yes. Um, yep. Rather than just point to point transaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you need to be a bit more innovative about how those revenue flows happen and who's getting value. And can you find someone who might not be obvious on the surface of it yep. that does get value out of what you're looking to do and is willing to pay for it? Yeah. Because you're actually taking away or solving a problem. Yes. Over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they weren't part of your target audience. But they, yeah. You tend to have to be a little more creative and a bit more innovative around how you put together your business model overall, but mm. especially the revenue model. Mm. Um, and then, you know, taking that out into how do you build teams and what's your story and how, what are the different ways that you might structure the organisation legally in yep. terms of the different legal structures, um, pros and cons there, and then service design piece which has sort of been happening all the way through of what does this early solution look like yeah as a full experience what are the different touch points to make it up what do you have to do in the background to deliver that value so you know standard service blueprints of 
how's this thing hang together? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can't do it all at once, and you never should, even if you had oh, God, time no. and money. No, no, no. So what's highest priority? What's MVP actually look like? Mm-hmm. Um, that you can get an early version of the solution out, because no matter how good your research has been, you only really start learning for real when it's in market and people are using it. And yeah. then you, if you've run out of money, which I've done many times in startups, <laughs> yep. getting first version of product to market, yeah, yeah, it's the worst possible thing you can do is be stuck with version one of your product in market and not have the funds to be able to iterate it. Yeah. Because then you're stuck. You've got all these learnings. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you know lots anything. of things you should be doing. Yeah, yeah. But you're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's not a happy place to be. Uh, I can't imagine it would be no. in the slightest. And one that I've got myself into multiple times. <laughs> well, so you know what it feels like as well. I know yeah, exactly yeah. what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know that age-old how minimum is minimum yeah. for a viable product. Yeah. Um, what's viable even mean? And I know Adam likes his desirable. Uh, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, he does. Um, but I've never seen an MVP with two fewer features, including ones I've designed and built. Yeah, okay. I've never seen one that has, you know, boy, it really needs a few more features before it's something, or it needs to be just a little bit more polished. Yeah. Never seen it. I've seen plenty of early products that are ugly as hell and you wouldn't want to touch it, become massively successful. Yeah. See that all all the time. Hurts me to say that as a designer. <laughs> um, Not everything's pretty to begin with. No, and no. you look at you know things like Airbnb and Uber and yeah. eBay. Still, yes. still now. Um, oh God, it's so <laughs> ugly. But they anyway, sorry. They, they yeah. solve real problems for people. Yeah. And when you are actually solving a real problem, people will give you a lot more leeway and will persist. So yeah. I think I can't believe I'm going to say this. Design can actually play, a, especially the visual design and, mm. and some of the experience design around it, can actually play a bit of a false indicator where it actually looks really good oh, and, yeah. it's, and it's attractive and you get people in the door, Yeah, but it's just a nice to have in their life as opposed to solving a real problem. Yes, most definitely. And then yeah. they disappear. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas if you've got a really ugly product yep. and people use it, you, you know you're, you're, you can make it look better and, and be better to use. Um, and make that experience much better, but yeah, now you're actually sol- you've already solved a real problem. But yeah, I mean the the like the solving of that problem in the first place is 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 key to the experience. It doesn't have to be you know uh, rainbows and unicorns from the moment someone like Asana. Like what's that? Sorry, <laughs> like Asana. Like yes, <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't have to be like you know rainbows and unicorns a hundred percent to begin with. No, um, just as long I, as it delivers on 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 the prop. Then, and, you know, and I think that's the challenge we're in now mm. with startups for digital products especially is we compare our product to today's version of Uber and yeah. Airbnb, etc. Yeah. When they've been going for a decade and have spent millions, if not more than, yeah. on product development, we want that with our 30K MVP. In, in three months. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're, mm. we're, we're kind of, we're chasing the really beautiful digital product because yeah. that's become our expectation. In some cases, that is the ticket to the game. If you don't have something towards that parity, yeah, you yeah. don't get to play at all. Yeah. 
but it also then provides this you can have something that looks awesome and and you know objectively is awesome from a design perspective yeah um but isn't really solving a real problem yeah um and then so then what, what have you actually got yeah like yeah nothing it won't, it won't last yeah and it is like and you've over invested uh, in most cases. Yeah, yeah. It is um, like it's a bit of a thing with people though. Like uh, you know, I'm just sort of this idea of of you know you've got something that's new. You're looking at something that's you know had had like you say a decade in the market, millions of dollars thrown at it. It's something that people you know in all all you know aspects of their life will will fall into that trap. I'm just I'm kind of thinking about you know. Um, Coaching people to play sport is, right. is is a classic example of it. People, you know, they'll they'll play, they'll learn how to play a sport, they'll do it for twelve months, and then they look at the people who've been doing it for twenty years and go, "Well, I'm not as good as blah blah." It's like, well, no, yeah, of course you're not, <laughs> yeah. but you will be. Yeah, you, you keep can. going. <laughs> you can, yeah, if you keep going. Uh, so if you you know if you've made sure you've still got funds available, yeah. um, and you you know you haven't spent all your money getting to that MVP stage. Um, or minimum desirable, whatever it might be. Yep. Um, You're giving yourself a chance at least. You're yes. still in the game. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, still in the game. Um, so I, I, I know um, you also spend a fair bit of time talking to uh, new designers. Um, yep. I know uh, when we had a chat last week um, and uh, more than once we've, we've talked about this, you quite enjoy going and um, uh, presenting to designers as they finish their, their intensive courses and... Yeah, I think freshly birthed, as it were. <laughs> um, is there? I mean, for I guess my, I've got two questions around that. Really, what what is it that's exciting about that for you? Um, and um, do you have like a little a little toolkit that you like to a little even just a little thinking toolkit that you like to give people new to the industry to help getting get them started? So, what's exciting? The groups that I normally have a chat with um, are career switchers, mm-hmm. as the you know over ninety percent of them are changing careers. So yep. it's an interesting point in their journey, like their own personal story and journey, and they're at this turning point. And however they got there could be mixed and varied, but they're now looking at this next thing, and they're looking at um, UX design as a way to take their careers forward Mm -hmm. a lot tend to be switching from other design disciplines um you know everything from built environment like architecture interiors um through to graphic or motion um you know it's quite a diverse range of design disciplines um but then also completely unrelated or seemingly unrelated disciplines yeah and i think that's a really healthy and positive thing Mm. um there's sort of you know we were talking about earlier, that's the reality of most people that's up until maybe five years ago, most weren't trained as designers. Yeah. And definitely not as UX designers. No. That were no. wearing that label. Yeah. Um, because you came through other paths and they were called different things and you were doing design. You possibly didn't call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not have been viewed as that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But bring those different perspectives into the industry and then using it as a frame of reference and those different source of inspiration stimuli to then be able to work with people to design new things in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of that pivotal point in their career. And if they stick with UX or branch off into something else, um, taking that appreciation as we're talking about 
of design. Yeah, and, totally. And especially human sand design. Um, I think that's nothing but a healthy thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having a having a chat, um, understanding a little bit about where they've come from, mm-hmm. why they're in the room, yeah. <laughs> and then trying to you know share a little bit about what I've learnt over you know, twenty five years of doing design. Yeah. Um, again, most of those years not called UX not design. Not called a designer, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and. Um, also using it as an opportunity at you know, again that kind of pivotal point to encourage the students to use their new design skills or freshened up design skills mm-hmm. um, for positive things for you know use it for good yeah um, and so tend to try and help people think about um, four points, and I bet you I'm not going to be able to remember all four now. That was a bad play. I should have let you get your deck out first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one key thing is being clear on your ethics and your yeah. value system. Um, and because there is this career-switching moment in time, yeah. um, you know, it's, they are pretty flat out while they're doing the course, but using it as a natural time to reflect on what they're doing and why and how they got there and what's important to them and how they get reward and fulfillment and, you know, that yeah. self-awareness side of things. And as a generalisation, if you don't have self-awareness and, and um, a level of security in yourself and what you're about, then it's much harder to have empathy. Yep. So okay. if you're coming from a place of vulnerability and uncertainty, mm most people tend to close down or be judgmental or defensive whereas if you're nice and stable and certain and confident about where you're at yep then it's much easier to reach out to people and engage emotionally and build that empathy deeply most definitely yes yeah um so encourage people to think about how they like to work how they get meaning reward fulfillment what environments have got that from in the past mm. what environments and and ways of working cause you negative stress that's that's just destructive for you and avoid that yep no sort of that self-awareness reflection is definitely one where your ethics values line is so and draw that line like write it down yeah and, yeah and i'll i have mine i i'm pretty clear about where mine is yep. and i'm not particularly shy <laughs> to say it um, but mine isn't yours or theirs no of course so um and get into a bit of relativism versus absolute but you know everyone I think should be able to say what their line is um, I'm not going to determine that for someone else yeah and but hold yourself accountable to it so write it down yeah yeah and go you know here is, here is my line yes I will not go anything below this line yeah that's dark stuff I'm not doing that that's that's negative and that's not just a case of being nice or good no that is you do stuff there You've already called it out for yourself that that's not what I'm about. So you're actually going to be doing yourself harm and you're not going to be doing your best work and yeah. you're going to be stressed out and yep. you're going to be feeling a bit self-judging because you should be. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's not about doing things that are just nice or good. It's actually healthy and you'll do it's better help- work and, and you'll... Yeah. move forward better and you'll be a better person to be around and everything else. I mean, and like, you know, not deliberately putting yourself in a place where negative self-talk can, can take yeah. over, essentially. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, you, you know, above that line is 
of various tones of grey. Indeed, yes. Um, and some of that's neutral. So yep. that there's, there's a mix of wish we didn't do this, yeah. but I'm glad we do this. Um, so, you know, that might you find it balances out or it's just sort of neutral in terms of, um, you know, the social or environmental impact. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly doing anything out of the way good, but it's mm. also not actively doing harm. Yep. And then you sort of go up into the grey, you'll get to a point where it gets nice and bright. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, if yeah. you can get up above, well above that line out of the grey or into the outer reaches of that grey and there's nothing but beautiful sunshine Aww. where you, you, know, you feel good about the work you're doing, you're proud to talk about it, you do good work because you're proud of the work you do. Yeah. Um, you're great to be around because you're enthusiastic and passionate and yep. everything. It doesn't mean it's not, not without challenges, but you know, if you can find ways to do that kind of work and make a good living, you know, that's... That's, 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 a, that's a pretty yeah, a pretty good place um, to be. And and it's you don't necessarily get there in one jump. No. But if you at least set that construct for yourself of not going to go below this line, yeah. I'm at least going to stay above and I'm always going to be pushing up to try and find that really happy place where yeah. I get to balance doing really good work that results in whatever you consider to be a, a good positive impact. Um, happy days. Yeah. For and sure. so and then for people coming into UX as a thing. Well, one, is it a thing? <laughs> yes. Yep. It's definitely an I industry. I think that's a very good question. <laughs> it is an industry. We, we could have an, we could talk that's about, a whole other Let's talk about that another time, though. Yes. Is it a thing? We'll um, save that one. <laughs> yeah. But especially when um, coming out of a, you know, intensive, immersive cl- um, course like that, yeah. where it's been a good taster of the full life cycle. Yeah. Um, here you go someone who's really crap at doing sales and marketing, giving some marketing advice. If you <laughs> if you can be sure and communicate well, so, you know, again, that um, self-awareness of what part of that life cycle do you really like and do you think you should give a shot first mm-hmm. or do you want to be full life cycle? Mm-hmm. You know, have tasted through these types of courses. Yeah. Um, but then the self-awareness of where you're going to dive into first. And I recommend people don't market themselves as UX designers yeah, because it's not really a thing. And I've found that um, more experienced design leaders who are recruiting teams don't hire UX designers without at least some kind of slash like design research or prototyper yes. or visual designer or yeah, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, or they actually want full life cycle but then it's probably not called UX design anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they, get, they get some other name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you can at least call that out yeah. and say, yep, I'm you know, going to do some UX design, I'm really into design research, yeah. and this is what I'm about, here's my values, the more you can differentiate yourself from the, the greyish of everyone's just calling themselves a UX designer. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a recruiter or a um, hiring manager, you're just looking at this big blob of how do I know which one's different? Yep. If you can actually differentiate and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, then you'll self-select for people who are got that need and care about those things to make that match, which yeah. marketing 101 Indeed. is something I'm very poor at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Getting then, better by the sound of things, though. <laughs> uh, it's all about application. Ah, uh, yes, I, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so the... And then the, the fourth point um, is around what's your story. Right. Uh, which, again, in this context is a bit of marketing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because a lot of the people coming out aren't, you know, they're not 
fresh blank pages. They've yeah. got a lot of experience, possibly even in the design field that's very closely related, sometimes in other broader fields. But for them to be able to look back at their experience, at least their working experience, if not just life in general, mm -hmm. yeah. and be able to weave their story of how design is relevant and how what they've done in the past is relevant to where they're at now yeah. and why they're not a blank piece of paper when you hire them. Yep. You're, they're actually valuing their history and their experience and they've got this to bring into a role. Um, so being able to, again, reflect on what is your story, how do you, I'm not day zero, yes. yeah, I'm yeah. day X instead, yeah, yeah. day N, um, and, and really relating those previous skills and experience to you know the UX industry. Yeah. So they're the um, sort of four points to try and get yeah, awesome. um, people to think about. Yeah. And I know it's giving a whole bunch of homework when they're already flogged. <laughs> um, but Oh, no, but they're done. By the, yeah, well, actually, no, they're, no, they're not. You know, no, yeah, I, I yeah. tend to come in somewhere between, any time in between kind of first or second week through to about week eight. So Excellent. It's always interesting seeing where people are at and how they're feeling. And how, and how wide <laughs> yeah. are they after the time you're done. What have I got myself into yeah. um, in terms of the course? But yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's something good for any, all of us at any stage. Something that oh, I always, you know, I've reflected on it for many, many years, but yeah. I still do and sort of tweak and iterate and, yeah. um, you know, even go back to first principles. Like, should I be doing dynamic four? You know, yeah. Literally, it's not that I want to stop doing dynamic four. No, 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 no. But, but yeah. you know, everything's on the table and, and being able to um, have that reflection Know, reorient, make sure the purpose is still strong. Yeah. Is this still what I should be doing? Is this yeah. giving me a reward and fulfillment? Am I doing good work that's adding value to yes. people? Yep. Um, all those things, you know, when you've got confidence and certainty in that and making adjustments, yeah. <laughs> always iterating, um, then it gives you a you know that stable base of I know where I'm at, why I'm here, what I'm doing, and now I've got a stable base to be able to reach out and engage and build empathy and you know, yeah. deeply engage as opposed yeah. to, well, you did that differently and don't like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's not about, about that's how I, mean. I think and feel about that, so I'm just going to judge you for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, empathy obviously is the golden word for good design, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, then I have one last question for you. Oh, here we go. And then this is, this is a very difficult one. Right. Um, do you prefer gelato or soft serve? When you say soft serve, that's like Mr. Whippy? Yes. like Not, not like scoop dice. No, 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 like Mr. Whippy. Okay. Exactly, yeah. No. Gelato? Gelato? For sure. Okay. Any favourite purveyors around Sydney? Around Sydney? Um, I think I only know one by name around Sydney, which would be Messina. Oh, okay. Um, I think it was Messina that I had. There was one, I think it was called Birthday Cake, which was... It sounds like something they'd make. It was pretty good. It was like cookies and cream which I quite like as an ice cream. Yeah. But with a bunch of other crunchy biscuity bits mm. in it and that was pretty good. Excellent. I think oh, I think I'm gonna uh, <laughs> you know, might have to wander down to Circular Key after we're done. How's oh, there one at Circular Key, is yeah, there? Yeah, there is. Well we both learned something this afternoon. Uh, ben always mate, learning. Indeed exactly right, exactly. Um, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Um, I uh, we should probably do this again. I'd love to continue the chat. It's been been fun 
How many yarn? Excellent. I've got no idea where this went, but um, <laughs> time, time block. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're for, it, it'll be fine. It holds together and makes sense, I can already tell. you got to fix it in the edit. That's right, fix it in post, mate. <laughs> ben, thank you very much for joining us on Plastic Grass Square. Thank you. folks that's it for this month's episode uh, my thanks to ben again for his time i really enjoyed that conversation i hope you all did as well uh, it's october so it's spark festival time hop onto the spark festival website sparkfestival.co check out the program there's heaps of great events on across uh, october and november we're hosting a few uh, some stuff about uh, user research and design thinking design thinking for kids uh, we're co-hosting an event with the code club which we're really excited about but yeah head over to sparkfestival.co have a look at the website uh, there's plenty of great uh, events to get involved in folks that's it from me this month please don't forget to rate and review uh, the podcast on itunes or stitcher or wherever you find it uh, it really helps us get the word out uh, to other people and spread the word share share the love and uh, get your friends listening as well okay folks thank you very much it's been lovely speaking to you all hear from you again soon bye-bye